Hi, this is Glenn Wexler, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in Five Songs with host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcasts. Pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. Uh, this is episode 200. Uh, so I'm calling this the Triple Anniversary Show. Why triple? So here's the deal. So obviously, it's episode 200. People have been asking me, you got to do something special for the 200th show. I think I've got something special here. Um, yeah, maybe it's not that special because it's about me kind of thing. It's about how I got to be uh, a fan of this stuff. And so I don't, I normally don't want to talk about me too much, but I guess it's the 200th so we can do that. But the other reason um, that it is uh, about this, so yeah, this is memories of the 70s basically and how I became an angry metalhead. But uh, the reason it's a triple anniversary is because uh, between this episode and the next episode, I've got my 60th birthday, so that's April 28th, and this is going up April 25th, 26th, uh, so there's another type of anniversary, but the other one that's kind of more salient and relevant to this episode, the, maybe the most uh, uh, relevant, is that 50 years ago, pretty much to this month, so 50 years ago, uh, is when I kind of remember my first albums as new releases, uh, you know, buying my own albums, you know, as as we write in Goldmine all the time, because I write a lot for Goldmine and we we like to, uh, you know, bring things around in interviews or whatever to uh, to your first record you bought as a kid with your own money, um, you know, your first memories of records, uh, 45s or whatever, because it is a record collecting magazine. Um, so, so this uh, literally May uh, 1973 uh, is when I kind of remember my first new releases. So that's going to be a category here. So uh, again, a triple anniversary show, uh, April 28th, 63, May 73, and this is uh, episode 200. Um, so this is about um, this is about discovering heavy music and why heavy music uh, sort of hit uh, and. Um, and I'm going to stop this before we get to uh, what I consider sort of the uh, the next big wave or magic moment, which was basically the new wave of British heavy metal. So that takes us up to 1980. So we're we're essentially covering 70 to about 77, 70. Well, now 78. Also, uh, you'll see in one of the categories here. So the first category here is, and you know, the other thing about this, I know I've talked about this stuff. Uh, all over the place, many times in interviews, interviews turned into print, radio interviews, uh, all across all sorts of video shows, probably little bits of this I, I have mentioned uh, along the way as fond memories, uh, you know, throughout this podcast as well. But this is kind of putting it all in one place. I did look very carefully. Uh, I, I saw that, uh, you know, I've never done a show exactly like this. Um, I noticed one in there 
what was it called? Kiss and Trends. Uh, that I'm sure some of the things you're about to hear, uh, you know, have have been brought up in that one as well. But I didn't didn't go look carefully. But I'm I'm gonna stay away from the whole Kiss and Trends sort of idea because of that. Uh, but but no, there's not there's not really any others uh, that are. Um, that are exactly on topic like this. So, uh, so yeah, let's play our first selection here, and we shall discuss. This is Led Zeppelin with Black Dog. Okay, so the theme here is uh, the very early heaviest sounds. Um, one of the things I find really funny is I've interviewed at least two people who told me their first memory of getting into music was Puff the Magic Dragon. And for me, it was the same thing. That's something I totally remember. But but the first time I got into kind of heavy sounds or, or into rock, um, you know, my mom was a big Melanie fan. Um, so yeah, we always had these Melanie albums around. I uh, don't remember much else. Dad was not a rock fan at all. You know, we're from Russian heritage. I remember he had Russian albums like Ivan Rebroff and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, they were they were big music people. But um, we did join the Columbia Record Club, and I remember that was really exciting. Getting sent things and checking them out, and then of course it was a negative option billing thing where you had to send stuff back. If you didn't want it, kind of thing. But my earliest memories are of uh, of a of a Three Dog Night Live album, and I used to think for the longest time it was the second one, which was the double one. But I think it was a first was the first one. Um, so Three Dog Night and Creedence Clearwater Revival, Pendulum, uh, and then Cosmos Factory. So that was the first rock and Steppenwolf Gold. Now, why are these important? Like what, you know, okay, first of all, they're random. They just kind of came into, uh, you know, my life as rock albums, right? Um, so you're a kid. So I would have been six, seven years old kind of thing when this is happening, right? Um, and, uh, and so they're the first rock albums I'm getting into. So, so what do you see? First of all, you see long haired, wild hippies, right? Steppenwolf and Three Dog Night as well. You see long hair and they're sweaty because they're live albums. They got big handlebar mustaches. Dad had a handlebar mustache. Uh, and I remember, you know, some of our favorite, um, you know, uh, hockey players, uh, you know, as we move on in time, you know, I remember... Derek Sanderson and Rick McLeish, and I swear I joined the Buffalo Sabers uh, fan club because of uh, because of the French connection and their mustaches. Rennie Robert and and uh, Gilbert Perrault. I don't think they always had mustaches, but um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. So so these early guys and Steppenwolf, you know, John Kay with the glasses and stuff. But um, what are we getting with these? So you're not getting heavy albums, right? But you are getting kind of a heaviness of look and. You know, with Steppenwolf, you are getting Born to Be Wild, um, and the and the crazy intro to Magic Carpet Ride, and just kind of like the druggy lyrics. But the big thing you're getting here that that was sort of uh, you know the antenna goes up about heaviness is the idea of uh, vocal fry and a shouty vocal and extreme vocal. Um, I might actually do a whole episode on on the vocal thing, so maybe I shouldn't go into it too much. But so these were the first things; they weren't particularly heavy. CCR did have some fairly electric guitar here and there. You know, I remember Fortunate Son and 
Um, so there were some things in CCR that could be a little heavy, but the big thing about CCR that was heavy was John Fogarty's voice, right? Um, so that's the thing there. There's really nothing heavy about uh, Three Dog Night, but I think I was hooked into rock and roll by some of the hooks on that. And then, like I say, Steppenwolf did have a, a, a little bit of heaviness to it. But why did I play uh, Led Zeppelin Black Dog here? So this is actually the very first memory I have of heavy music. Um, and so this is a 1971 album and I'm, I'm very certain I'm hearing this before. I, I feel like I'm absolutely woke to heavy music, which is sort of 73, which we're going to get to. But so the idea here is that, um, there were a couple of older cousins. I think of Tim and Joe Popoff. Um, and I think of Lawrence Perpalkin, um, and, uh, and the older brother of my best buddy, Forrest Toop. So the older brother was Mark Toop, who actually played guitar and was in a band. Like one of my fi- fondest rock and roll memories is when he and his band actually played our elementary school, you know, on the stage in the gym, which was electrifying, right? Um, so didn't have an older brother myself. So, so it was these mentors, you, you would go over and visit your cousins or whatever, or, or see Mark's collection and, and, you know, the, the old teenager would turn you on to stuff. So, so, um, you know, Lawrence had some Led Zeppelin, but I distinctly, distinctly remember, um, the Zeppelin coming from Joe and Tim over in Castlegar, right? Um, Udashenya to be uh, to be exact, where my dad grew up, um, which was a really Russian neighborhood. Um, they had their own Russian newspaper, and they had these sort of uh, you know Russian communal houses, these big brick houses with squares and stuff. Yeah, crazy, and everybody spoke Russian pretty much only. Um, but yeah, so. Um, you know, I played Black Dog, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec, but but I remember the Joe and Tim album more so was Led Zeppelin 3. So there you were getting Out on the Tiles and Celebration Day and Immigrant Song, right? But Led Zeppelin 4, I remember this uh, being at Quinton McDonald's house in Glen Mary where I grew up. So one of his older brothers would have had it, right? Is I think there's a Basil, right? Um so the thing about Led Zeppelin uh, that was electrifying and probably, like I say, was the first thing that turned me on to any heavy sounds was the fact that Black Dog had an extreme vocalist. It had very, very fuzzy, extreme guitars. So this is Jimmy Page producing rather punk rockly, uh, you know, very badly and distorted, really. Very mid-rangey, right? Um, you know, for all, for all we talk about John Bonham's drum sound, there are a lot of records where John, John Bonham's drum sound wasn't that great, and this is one of them, right? But um, so it was very frenzied and, like I say, punk rock and noisy. This was really electrifying music because the vocal was electrifying, the the guitar was electrifying, and even the drums sounded distorted. Um, so, yeah, and, and it was pretty extremely heavy. And then also you got on this album, you got rock and roll, which was a very... Uh, Again, kind of punk rocky, right? Very wall of sound. Um, you know, it sounded like the riff didn't line up exactly 4-4 with everything, which also was the case with Black Dog as well. So you want to talk about, you know, turning on that musician brain. Black Dog turned on the musician brain because of that convoluted riff that just kept going and going and, and you know, the timing being off and that and that weird intro to, to rock and roll, which was tough to do on, on drums, right? Um, 
so uh, so Zeppelin was definitely the uh, the earliest example of this. So let's let's stop there. Let's take a break. Um, and I want to remind you that this episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help, or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. Better help is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff listeners. You get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash five songs. That's better. H-E-L-P.com slash five songs. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, let's move on to our next selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Nazareth with Razamanaz. Come to a showdown. We won't allow you a second to slow down. 
Okay, so again, uh, triple anniversary show, we're calling this. Um, and this is the anniversary of, uh, I definitely got this as a new release and definitely did not hear or have any Nazareth albums before Rasmanaz. Um, I might have talked about this before again, but the fact of the matter is uh, A&M Records Canada, for some reason, did a really good job. So anybody was on who was on A&M had favorable results in Canada versus uh, versus what they did in the States. That goes for the likes of uh, Styx albums did really well. Supertramp had a pretty high profile in Canada. Um, status Quo, even though... You know, they didn't have much success anywhere. Um, you know, these albums were all readily available in Canada. But Nazareth had the biggest uh, success. This was actually one of Nazareth's uh, biggest markets. Uh, you you will recall that that uh, Russia's first across Canada tour was supporting Nazareth. They, you know, all the way to Vancouver and back. Um, and, uh, and basically, Nazareth toured here a lot. Uh, they played all up and down. Uh, they, they still, to this day... Will play Western Canada, small towns. Uh, they had a lot of success in Canada. A lot of, lot of, in fact, like a, a string of something like eight or nine in a row gold records in Canada. Anyways, so Razamanaz. Um, the funny thing here is that you look on Wiki and it says May seventy three in the UK, August seventy three in the US. It doesn't say when it came out in Canada. So it's possible, given A and M's situation, this is a this is a funny thing. When I write these books, it's it's actually kind of hard to research things like this. There are certain methodologies you can use. You can go to um, there's this great site called American Radio History, I think, uh, that has has all the Billboard. In fact, Billboard magazine itself. You can go and find all the Billboard magazine. Um, pages and go if you really really want to see what month something came out but it's kind of hard to do um so so quite often i don't really have that information so but like i say i'm thinking that given a and m's good situation in canada i wonder if this album even came out in canada before it came out in the states it's possible anyways the point is um First album I remember getting as a new release, and as you can tell from this, uh, we're really moving on in the idea of of an extreme vocalist, and we are, you know, truly in a heavy metal zone with uh, with Razamanaz. You've got very distorted guitar, you've got crazy manic drums, you know, double bass drumming from Daryl Sweet, um, and so yeah, this was a pretty heavy album, and like I say. Uh, all throughout, so all throughout, you do get you do get hard rock and heavy metal on the Rasmanaz album. But again, driving the whole idea, and this we this we didn't really glom into as a kid. This is something that came later, and uh, and when we really focused over at um, Banger Films when we were doing Metal Evolution, we spent a lot of time on extreme vocals, right? The birth of extreme vocals and the evolution. And uh, so thinking back to the seventies. This really did have an effect, having a really extreme vocalist, and there was none more extreme than Dan McCafferty. Um, so yeah, this was uh, this was first album as a new release, and then I remember getting loud and proud and being just spooked to death by uh, you know the Ballad of Hollis Brown, um, which I think we featured on a recent episode. This Flight Tonight was a big hit, of course, and that was heavy metal. You know the heavy metal gallop. We just did that episode, right? Um, but the other one that fits in this category that's that's pretty important to me is Bachman Turner Overdrive self-titled May 17th 73 so here we are at, at like I say the exactly exactly the 50 year mark I definitely got that as a new release so BTO obviously um you know there's the history of the Guess Who and Brave Belt and the fact that that this is a Canadian band um 
and uh, and they in fact didn't even move away from Canada, right? Uh, basically based in the based in Winnipeg, right? Um, but um, so BTO, uh, everything about that album felt heavy to me, and it's pretty heavy. But the funny thing about that album is it's really really southern rock. When I listen to it now, it's probably the most southern rock album not to come from the south. And we do have these honorary episodes, which I think I talked about that. But yeah, just the whole name of the band. Bachman Turner Overdrive. So you've got overdrive in there. You've got you've got three long words. It's a big fat name for big fat guys with big fat belt buckles and big fat beards, right? And big fat long hair. And in Fred Turner, you got a big fat voice too, right? Um, so you had again extreme vocal. Now Randy Bachman was your sort of more innocent Pete Townsend type voice to the Roger Daltrey of a C.F. Turner or a Frank Beard. I'm not Frank Beard. Why do I always say that? Dusty Hill of uh, ZZ Top um, for a uh, for a heavy heavy vocal versus the Billy Gibbons vocal. By the way, I'm I'm talking to Billy Gibbons uh, uh, again in a week, which is kind of cool. Um, so um, yeah, BTO definitely heavy. Uh, the funny thing about BTO and and we did this when we did a guitar hack episode and and you know pondered BTO uh, at length is uh, they had this weird thing where the drums were, were kind of pulled away and, and you were focusing on these riffs. And, and they weren't even all that distorted most of the time, but they were really lunk-headed and caveman-y. So you got this, you got this slow and sluggish heaviness. So again, uh, back in 1973, I was exactly 10 years old, uh, there was definitely this feeling of, um, of uh, you know, all these little touchstones that you maybe didn't even realize that were making things sound heavy and you were loving it because, uh, I, like I say, I just gravitated towards being a music fan, right? Just became a crazy music fan. Um, so yeah, just wanted to mention a, a few other fond memories then in this indulgent show here. Uh, there are, uh, what are we calling this again? Tri- triple anniversary show. Um, uh, fond memories of around this time as we move forward. Uh, I remember my, uh, my great blue oyster cult memory is, um, you know, in my room, which by the way, uh, and I've mentioned this before, but all the way around the room, um, I had posters, uh, right to the top of the ceiling, right to the floor, cut out for the plug receptacles, cut out, uh, cut out for the, for the light switches, uh, all the way around the room, rock posters, uh, you know, and I would draw and I would do art as well. So there'd be, there'd be that kind of stuff too. Um, but, um, but yeah, rock posters of all sort all around the room, and I'm pretty sure I had the big, huge Blue Oyster Cult one. Does anybody remember that uh, company that made the, um, you know, the the square on rectangular, like not collage on angles, but but collage posters, big, huge ones. They were about. I'd say three feet wide by four feet tall, and there was a Kiss, there was a Rush, there was an Aerosmith. I'm pretty sure there's a Blue Oyster Cult. Um, so yeah, had all these posters all around. Um, Dad built a. Dad was an IE teacher, uh, industrial education, so he taught woodwork and metalwork and electricity and math and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, um, you know, he was kind of an inventor as well. Um, but we had these light organs, right? Do anybody remember light organs? All you had to do was um, was hook up, uh, you know, carve away a little bit of the rubber off of your um, uh, speaker speaker wires. And you would take, uh, and then you would expose the the rubber, the uh, you know the positive and negative, um, on the light organ uh, coming out, and you would just splice onto, you know, you'd, you'd separate the uh, the left and right, and you would and you would wrap the uh, you know the the the, the copper wires 
around the positive and negative. And uh, as your music pulsed through the speaker wires, um, the electrical pulse would pulse through the wires leading to the light organ, and you'd have, you know, mine... I had various ones. Plus, I had strobes and I had black lights as well. But I, my, my main light organ was about a two and a half foot tall, you know, nice wooden cabinet that Dad built with, um, with sort of a patterned plastic, uh, you know, grid on the front, and then it was filled with colored lights. And the the wild thing that would happen with the light organ is treble would would um, would trigger certain lights and bass would trigger other lights and mid-range would trigger other lights so as your music was going you'd have you'd have all this pumping around you'd turn your light off and you'd have you'd have like a like a wild rock show the the other thing i want to uh <laughs> mention is is uh, in front of my window i had uh scorpions letters that i made individual scorpions letters so you had the cardboard backing and then i had like white gloss paper and i just left it white and um and made all the scorpions letters and hung them individually by, by uh, fishing fishing line, right in front of the window, and uh, and it was strong enough that I had Christmas lights uh, strung around them too. So that was kind of cool. Um, but anyways, yeah, my my other memories uh, of uh, of early albums, I remember sitting in that room and listening to Blue Oyster Cult on your feet or on your knees. And, uh, and burning a lot of incense, right? So I remember this album in particular on whatever days, I would burn so much incense that I was, I was trying to make a haze in the room that I couldn't see across the room sort of thing with smoke, right? Um, I remember Sweet Des- Desolation Boulevard being such a huge, uh, you know, amazing fun time, uh, you know, roller skating or going skating and hearing Fox on the Run and Ballroom Blitz. Ballroom Blitz was so exciting because of that manic vocal and the drums. This is when I'm starting to get into drums. Um, but yeah, that was exciting seeing that. And of course, that went gold in the States. Um, Another fond memory is Black Sabbath, We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll. So the 1976 double compilation. Had a bunch of Sabbath before that, was a huge fan already. Um, So by 76, though, I remember sitting in our basement den uh, working on uh, a report, you know, when you had to do school reports. I was was a master at these reports. I loved doing them, you know, totally you know, immersing yourself in the subject, doing the cover page and all that stuff with felt pens. But I remember sitting down there working on this report for four, five, six hours. And, you know, we had the stereo was upstairs and it was wired down into the basement with speakers. And, you know, we had the record changer where you could put on two records and it would play one of them and then the other one would drop down and then it would play that. So so I would play this uh, just in, in a loop. Two sides, run upstairs, flip it over the other two sides, flip it over the other two sides, on and on and on. And it felt like... After a while, I felt like I was going a little crazy, that I was just just drumming this depressing old early Sabbath into my brain for like four, five, six hours or however long I was down there. So that was kind of crazy. I, I do remember feeling that, that I was starting to lose my sanity a little bit playing these old Sabbath songs. Not in the right order, right? That's the other thing. So you're disoriented because you're just hearing them in, in an odd order because it's on this Greatest Hits album, right? So that was a fond memory. Um I've mentioned this before, but uh, this is the other thing about this episode. I'm, I'm, if it goes a little long, I, I kind of don't care because it is the anniversary episode, right? Um, but I remember Deep Purple, my only fond memory of, because of, I, you know, 
I, I forget where with some of these bands these albums come in. I So some of these bands, I only have kind of one memory. But with Deep Purple Burn, it's definitely, definitely, definitely the school assembly that was put on by some of my buddies. We were we were off, you know, trying to get with the girls and doing this little French dance thing for our after-school assembly thing. But a couple of buddies, two or three buddies, did this thing where they ran around uh, the perimeter of the gym uh, with, with little toy machine guns shooting at everybody to the music of Deep Purple Burn. And that was awesome. Uh, I mean, we all just, all our buddies, we all felt embarrassed being part of this little French dance thing after we saw that, you know, how do you follow that? I don't know which, which came first, but the point is, is that all of us who were not part of that were thinking, this is so cool. Um, cause it's, it's a little bit like that thing, like seeing a brand new car in a showroom. It looks twice as big as it does on the street. Um, music like that, you know, hearing deep purple burn in your gym, you know, when you're all sitting cross-legged around the perimeter and these guys are running around, twirling around with these machine guns, you know, running up to you and, and shooting you with these machine guns. Uh, pretty wild. Pretty cool. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned before um, ACDC, Let There Be Rock, getting that as a new release in Winnipeg on a family vacation and possibly high voltage at the same time. And then come, you know, being on family vacation for the next week or two, hoping they don't, you know, your records don't melt as you put them uh, in various places in this super, super hot van. Because we would have this... um, we would have this van and we would stay in the van or stay in um, hotels, you know, on and off, you know, to get showers and stuff like that and to, you know, pamper yourself and then have have a night of, uh, you know, camping or whatever. So, um, yeah, we had this innovatively, gorgeously, amazingly built Dodge van that had, you know, had two double beds in it and, you know, everything folded up and down and all this stuff. Um so uh so yeah those are those are the fond, fond memories of uh leading up to basically everything here has kind of a 1976 theme. So let's move on to our third selection. Take a listen to this. This is Judas Priest with Island of Domination. Okay, so the theme here is a fond memory of a massive, massive, massive improvement in the quality of heavy metal. So I remember getting this at Rock Island Tape Center, who, you know, by this point, 13 years old, was I working at Rock Island at the time? Maybe not. Maybe it was more like 14, 15 years old. Um, Anyways, uh, Forrest and and I, uh, and at various other stores too, ran ran the record departments in town, right? Um, But uh, I remember getting this album... And looking at it and thinking, oh, that's a really cool cover. Judas Priest, that's kind of a blasphemous sounding name. Could be heavy. Look on the back. Ah, they kind of look like rockers. You see the religious writing. You go, is this is this like a Christian album? And then bringing it home and play. So this is the Canadian copy on Janus Records, right? So Baby Band knew nothing about them. Never heard of Rockerola. That's going to come in a, in, a, in a future little thing here in a second. Um, but um, but playing this album and and realizing that this band we'd never heard of was kind of creeping us out because it was better than every other heritage band that we had ever heard. Uh, and this is a young unknown band. And so it kind of creeped us out that we didn't know about this band, right? Because already here's another fond memory. 
I had a I had a uh, subscription to Circus Magazine. We would buy Cream and Hit Prater. We would go down to L and J Bookstore. You know, constantly walking in there on our lunch hours from, uh, you know. Uh, from junior high when we got to junior high, etc., to see if the latest hit parade or circus or uh, or or um, cream was in. Um, but yeah, for for the longest time, I I had an actual circus subscription. So you know, coming home from elementary school, I remember always checking that mailbox: is it here? Is it here? Anyway, so knew nothing about this band. Never saw a, a stitch of press on them. And then hearing this and hearing all these riffs across this album and this super operatic singer, uh, these these absolutely Menza-level intelligence riffs. And then the other creepy thing about this, besides the album cover, the very, you know, fancy name, Sad Wings of Destiny, um, you know, I always thought that picture of Rob Halford with the, you know, holding the mic stand up looked kind of like a crucifixion. Um but the other crazy thing about this record, if you've noticed, it's timeless. It sounds like it could have been, all the lyrics could have been written in medieval times or renaissance times. And even the music is so classical and non-blues based and non-communicative and non-warm uh, that it that it sounds like a heavy version of renaissance music. I mean, it sounds like if you, if you would have had electricity, um, somebody time traveled back and stuck electricity in, uh, in medieval times, um, you could have made this because like I say all the lyrics are are basically timeless I I don't think there's any technology in any of the lyrics Um, there is Ripper which is the story of you know Ripper I suppose but again it's 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 written so general that it could have been from any other time so that's that's a fond memory of 1976 um showing that that music can absolutely advance so far beyond. Uh, Boy, we are having a long episode here. I better keep moving. So uh, take a listen to this. This is our fourth selection. This is Kiss with Shout It Out Loud. Okay, so the theme here is Kiss. Uh, definitely remember, um, so just fond memories of Kiss, and I'll, I'll keep it tight here. Uh, definitely got the first album as a new release, um, but not me. Uh, definitely heard Hotter Than Hell as a new release, but not me. That, again, was, I believe it was Quentin McDonald, and I totally remember the decadence of that Japanese photo shoot, how freaky and druggy it looked. Um, so that, you know, as a kid, you'd go, ooh, and ah, wow, this is crazy. You know, look at... This looks like a, a bacchanal uh, kind of party. First one I got as a new release was Dress to Kill. So that's the other thing. As kids, your friend set, um, everybody had their designated album that they had by these bands. And you were to champion that album and say it was the best one because it was the one you owned. It was the one you had the investment in, right? Your allowance money or your work money. That's the other thing. I, I worked all the time, right? I was a babysitter. I was a uh, mower of lawns. Uh, I had the heavy metal job of mowing the cemetery lawn and watering the cemetery lawn and having to go down there in the dark at five in the morning on my bike uh, and and get, you know, not too far into the grounds. But uh, but yeah, the funny thing was, is you had to lift this big, you had to lift this big, uh, uh, you know, metal, metal uh, lid uh, and, and reach down with uh, with one of those big, long, um, uh, you know, uh, what would you call it? 
tap turner thing, you know, on the end and, and you'd have to reach down and get down to the valve and turn. So, so essentially I'm biking down to the cemetery in the dark and, uh, and opening something and reaching down into the ground, like three or four feet to turn the, uh, to turn, you know, to turn the, uh, the sprinklers on. So yeah, I worked all the time and then worked at Rock Island Tape Center and they, you know, we were installing stereos and selling stereos and running the record department and, you know, hauling console TVs into vans and driving around Gordy's van and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, the theme here is Kiss. So, uh, so yeah, the the first one was Dressed to Kill. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mention the the Kiss Alive story again. I'm sure you guys have heard that many times. But you know, I remember the Destroyer uh, listening to Destroyer on the family. Um, on the family stereo in the living room, we had a living room that had a vaulted ceiling. Dad built our house, right? Designed the whole thing. Uh, Dad and Mom, of course, Mom gets a lot of credit as well. Uh, but yeah, family built our houses. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we had this big open living room, seventies shag carpet, seventies, uh, uh, modular red fireplace that reached up two stories with the, um, the chimney. And we always had kind of smoke problems because of that. It was kind of an engineering challenge, but anyways, the stereo would sit right in the middle there and on, on some furniture that dad built as well. And I remember, you know, having headphones on and listening to Detroit rock city and the car crash and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, love that album. Join the Kiss Army, I believe, right? That was the only that was the first place where you got order forms to join the Kiss Army. So join the Kiss Army. So I was part of the Kiss Army. Later I was, I was part of the Saxon uh metal militia or whatever it was called, Saxon Militia, uh Motorhead Bangers, probably the first Canadian, maybe, <laughs> to be in either of those two, because it definitely was 79 or 80. Um and uh yeah, the Buffalo Sabres uh fan club as well, right? Um so yeah, that's that's the Kiss memory. Uh, I definitely remember getting Love Gun and Rock and Roll Over as new releases, of course. You know, insane, going insane because of seeing ads in circus or whatever. I think Love Gun was one of these I got on one of our famous family vacations. Anyways, let's move on to our last selection. Take a listen to this. This is Aerosmith with Sick as a Dog. <laughs> Okay, so why am I playing Aerosmith? The fond memory here and the theme here is wanting an album so bad, right? So so this is a situation where my buddy Forrest got Aerosmith Rocks, and we loved that album to death, right? But for some reason, I couldn't get it for a long, long time. Uh, so he was the only one with a copy, and I believe it's because he came back from a family trip to Spokane, Washington, so he had an American copy of it, and it wasn't even in town yet here in Trail, right? So Trail is is exactly two hours, two hours, 15 minutes north of Spokane, Washington, just over the border into British Columbia. Um, so I think he had an American copy of it, and we just played that album to death anytime we were over at his place. Loved it, uh, but wanted that album so bad and couldn't get it for a while. And also in this theme about wanting something so bad, um, Judas Priest Rock and Roll. My story there is that um, I just remember, I don't know where I got this. This probably would have been in one of our famous trips to Strawberry Jams or Magic Mushroom or Eucalyptus in Spokane. But uh, somehow I got a hold of one of those little uh, stapled together um, 
record mail order catalogs, you know, with everything typed in courier and it's been photocopied a million times, right? Um, but I remember seeing a line listing there. Uh, so this would have been definitely after Sad Wings because Judas Priest were kind of our favorite band at this point, um, or at least we knew they were the best band at this point. Um, but so this would have been probably 77. I can't, I can't tell for sure if Sin After Sin uh, was out yet. I remember getting that and just that was a flipping through the racks and seeing that logo and just flying off the handle, right? Um, but so at one point I see this line listing in this, in this thing for Judas Priest Rockarola on Gull Records. It's like, what? There's another Judas Priest album? Unbelievable, right? Um, had no idea. I, I remember the price to this day. It was $7.99. So I actually ordered a mail order for this album and the wait for it was just, just agonizing. Right. And then one day it showed up, um, you know, it probably came from the States. Um, I don't think it came from England might've, um, but yeah, I remember getting this package in the mail with Judas Priest Rockarola. Um, so this is long before it was reissued in Canada and the States. Uh, what I think it was on import records, right? Um, that's a label, not an import. It was actually import records. Remember that sort of tan label? Um, so yeah, my first copy of that was a Gull copy. Um, blew my mind getting that and uh, and quite liked it. I mean, I was not that disappointed in Rockarola, how over the years people say it's not that great an album. But to me, to me, it was just like a slightly not as good, or more than slightly, but it was not as it was a not as good version of Sad Wings of Destiny. But it kind of lined up, you know. Uh, it, it still was pretty darn good at that time because there weren't a lot of heavy metal albums so that was one that i i really wanted uh super bad in this theme of wanting an album bad the other one was judas priest killing machine right um so this was another situation where forest came back probably again from spokane so we would either go to spokane or we would go to vancouver for these mecca you know record buying mecca trips um and uh he had killing machine so he had the UK issue of that album. And again, it's absolutely rocks all over again. We loved it to death, played it all the time. It's still my favorite Judas Priest album, but I couldn't get it for ages, right? So yeah, so remember this situation. So this came out super early and then quite a bit later um, in North America, right? Is how, how that works. So when I eventually got my copy, it was called Hellbent for Leather. Um, no longer was the writing of the album title in red, but it was in orange and it had an extra song, Green Man Alishi. Um, and you know, to this day, I, I, I remember telling myself, oh, my copy's better. It's got Green Man Alishi on it. What an amazing, super heavy, crazy song, right? Really, really good song. But you know, in the back of my mind, uh, my whole life, I was like, nah, man, Killing Machine's better. It's it's better having Killing Machine that because that was so magic that album and having that title in red versus orange made all the difference. Having the different title and yes, having have not having Green Man Alishi made Killing Machine uh, even cooler. Um, so there you go. That's our last category. The uh, the boy I wanted that album so bad category. Um, if you like this show. And want to support future episodes, go to ko-fi.com uh, slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. This week, I would like to thank Bruce Campbell. Very generous, Bruce. Take a big break. Thank you very much. Uh, David Fisher, Sasha Kellerman, Dan Kieswetter. I'm looking right now at, a, at my copy, Dan, of uh, Space in Your Face, S-I-Y-F on CKMS 100.3 FM. Dan, buddy of mine who ran for ages with his brother, um, Matt, um, 
a heavy metal show out of the uh, the the university campus uh, in Waterloo. There, um, yeah, ran a heavy metal show. Taught a lot of people about metal over in Kitchener, Waterloo, for years and years and years. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so that's Dan, uh, Augustine Garcia de Prides, Steve Polari, and Scott Reed. Thank you all very much. MartinPopoff.com for all your book needs. Still got the ACDC. Looks like the Pink Floyd uh, is coming back into print, back into stock. The Dark Side of the Moon book quicker than I thought. I got a notice today uh, saying that it's been shipped. So that's kind of cool. Um, then yeah, martinpopoff.ca if you're interested in the art that I'm doing, uh, whatnot. I'm I'm still on a medium search and I'm gonna really take art a lot more seriously. As you've heard earlier in the show, I just turned sixty, or turning sixty. Uh, today is what is today? It's the twenty second. So in six days. Um, but uh, I want to transition a little more into doing a heck of a lot more. Uh, art and get way more serious and get back to what I was doing in the 90s you know I was actually in a couple of galleries sold sold pretty much everything I did in the 90s right um you know thousand bucks 1200 bucks 450 750 for small ones I I want to really get back into art um you can see kind of what I was doing in the in the 90s if you go over to my official site martinpopup.com because there's always been that link there with paintings so that's what I was doing then I want to kind of get back into that but I still want to do the rock star stuff and uh, and various things but like I say I'm I'm in the middle of a medium search where I almost want to I know there's YouTube videos about all this stuff but I almost feel like taking some sort of a general art survey course where I can try out all sorts of different things because I you know I have all sorts of art supplies what I did in the 90s was very complicated with mediums and I know how to do that and I can go back to that and I'm going to but there's all I want to try basically every every um type of drawing or painting uh, medium as uh, as I go along and find out what uh, because you know right now I've been doing this um, like pencil crayon on black paper drawing thing because it's simple and it's easy it's not messy right doesn't take up a lot of room but no I'm gonna get way more serious uh, about art again um, David I know <laughs> you've been telling you've been telling me to get back into it and I know I know you want to want to encourage that as well but uh, yeah so there you go uh, triple anniversary issue 200 episodes exactly 50 years since uh really really learning about music for the first time getting my new releases and 60 years old so there you go talk to you later find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 